Good morning. It is our purpose today to learn more about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Think about all the things that you might be doing this morning. Sleeping or TV or computer or social event. I just want to take a moment this morning to emphasize how valuable it is for us, few or many, to be here with our Bibles open, ready to learn more about Jesus Christ and how we ought to live under His authority. We'll do that today from Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue at verse 15. Colossians 1, continuing at verse 15. And we will begin after prayer. Heavenly Father, we express our love for Thee, our faith in Thee, our gratitude for Jesus Christ, and our interest in this kind of study for knowledge and daily practice. In His name we pray, amen. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to continue the reading at verse 15, and I'll read down through verse 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In this section of the Colossian letter, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, we're going to be looking this morning at some of the most important descriptions of Jesus Christ, some of the most important descriptions of Jesus Christ. Remember what we brought up in our first class in Colossians, that we are able to gather from the epistle, from the content of the epistle, that there was widespread false teaching in the vicinity of Colossians. And we may not know all the details of that false doctrine. It was in perhaps the developing stage very early. But we know that it degraded the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul wants to make certain the Christians in Colossae are as clear as they can be in their response to any kind of error or idea or suggestion that would diminish the truth about who Jesus is and what He did. And so here we enter into a section of the epistle that contains these grand truth-packed statements 
about who Jesus Christ is. We're going to begin with this opening statement you'll find in Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There is a little word here that is important in Bible study, not only here, but in many other places. And that word is image. <clears throat> we know, for example, from the very first page of the Bible that man was made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. That means, for example, just as God can think and speak and respond and feel and love, He made us that way with those capacities. We were made in the image of God as announced in Genesis 1.27. Now, Jesus was not made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. You got it? It's a very important distinction. We were made, man was created, and when we were born, when we were conceived and born, it was in the image of God, after the likeness of God in those qualities that I brought up, of being able to process and draw conclusions and think and make choices. Jesus is the image of God. It's right here on the page in Colossians 1.15. So anything that comes up or anything presented to me that would detract from that or deny that, I'm not going to buy into. Because as a Christian, this is what I believe about Jesus. And we will note here, Jesus didn't come to earth to change the politics to institute a new economy or to eliminate all disease forever and eliminate everything unpleasant. He came to make God visible, to give the concept of deity a visible reality in a person, a face, a body, a life on earth. Jesus is perfect for that because he is the image of the invisible God. Now, when I brought this up at Colossians 1.15, it may be that you looked at your Bible and saw some other passages referred to. Or it could be that in your memory, these other passages came up. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or it may be you thought of Hebrews 1 and verse 3, that Jesus is the express image of God. And some of you may remember what Jesus said to Philip in John 14 verse 9, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So we were made, man was made in the image of God, Jesus is the image of God. Very important for us to have hold of that and to maintain it against anyone who would say 
otherwise. Do you have some additional thoughts to offer about this? In Colossians 1 verse 15. The firstborn of all creation is not about first in time, but about first in rank. If you have the New King James, the phrase is the firstborn over all creation. And likewise, if you have the NIV, over creation. This signifies Jesus' superiority. And again, it puts him in a class above us, over us. See, in the Jewish culture, the firstborn held the highest place. Well, Jesus holds the highest place. He is over all creation. He is prior to, he is distinct from, and he's highly exalted above every creature. As Psalm eighty-nine twenty-seven testifies, God said, I will also make him my firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. Jesus was not born as we were born. Jesus has eternal existence. He said once in the book of John, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus had eternal existence. He was not created or born in the sense that we were, though he was born, of course, to the virgin. This phrase signifies his superiority, the firstborn, highest in rank. He is prior to, distinct from, and highly exalted above every creature. And in all the current dialogue about who Jesus is and what he was like, here's something you don't hear much in verse 16. And by him all things were created. By him all things were were created. I'll tell you, people today are so confused about creation. Many do not even conceive of all things being created, having accepted one of the many theories of evolution. This says what Christians need to confess and be very vocal about today, that by Jesus Christ all things were created. It says in the authentic historical account of who Jesus is, all things were created through him and for him. We are here in Colossians 1 and verse 16. And this is also reminiscent of Galatians 1.26 when God said, Let us make man in our image. Christ was there. God said in the beginning, Let us make man in our image. Jesus was not only there, he was involved actively in creation. And thus it is said by John in the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 3, without him nothing was made that was made. There is no justification for thinking of Christ as a created being. The Bible affirms, without him, nothing was made that was made. And beyond that, unlike man or angels, 
not only were all things created through him, but also for him, for his glory. How arrogant would it be for me or you to say, everything was created for us? No, this says, everything was created for him. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, <clears throat> visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, <clears throat> then it says, and for him. That's for his glory. Now that's our testimony about who Jesus is. In Colossians 1, 15 and 16, this is what we believe. And this is what we say to those who are confused about who Jesus is. We were made in God's image. Jesus is the very image of God. Have you ever seen movies about Christ that places emphasis on what we've read here in Colossians 1, 15, and 16? Unlikely. Verse 17, Colossians 1, verse 17. And He is before all things. That confirms what we've been talking about as to His eternal existence. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Before there was anything, Jesus Christ existed. Before there was anything, Jesus Christ existed. John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I've already mentioned what Jesus said when He was talking about Abraham's existence in John eight fifty eight. Before Abraham was, I am. There was never a time when Jesus was not. There was never a time when Jesus was not. And then it adds to that, in Him all things hold together. We acknowledge as Christians, and even scientists acknowledge, and even scientists who may not believe what we believe about Jesus Christ, it is acknowledged by everybody that the universe has order. There is a consistency about the universe. In fact, when the weatherman looks at all the factors and comes up with a prediction, that's all based on order. It's all based on previous history. All of us know the universe has order and consistency. Even those who deny divine creation in Genesis not only admit but marvel at the consistency and discipline order of the universe. You ever wonder, who keeps it all together? Everything holds together and works in a certain fashion. Everything holds together, this says, by Him, Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who impressed upon creation that principle of unity and solidarity, which makes it a cosmos instead of a chaos. And he continues to hold everything together. That's our Savior. 
He is there at the right hand of God now, and He functions perfectly as the upholder, the sustainer of all, as affirmed here, and also in Hebrews chapter 1. This is our Savior. This is the one we believe in and live for. Further, in verse 18, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything, that in everything, He might be preeminent. You will not read this in many of the books men have written about Jesus Christ. Secular writers likely do not accept this about Jesus Christ. They like to write about the people that he influenced and the things that he did, perhaps absent some of his miraculous activities. It is not often to be found popular in literature to talk about these truths about Jesus Christ. Islamic literature, for example, does not give Jesus preeminence. Some of the popular religious cults go to great lengths to deny what Paul said to the Colossians about who Jesus is. But this is what we believe. We are members of His body. We are members of a body, and He is the head of that body. That's what we believe. The body is the church. We submit to Him, the head. He has authority and preeminence. And why does He have preeminence? And why do we submit to Him? Because He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might have the preeminence. That's why we live under His authority. This is the truth about Jesus Christ, who is crowned with glory and honor and who rules in the hearts of believers. Questions or comments? Verse 19. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, we can be filled with the will of God. We studied that Wednesday night, you remember, back in chapter 1, verse 9. We can be filled with the will of God. I can open my mind up and I can read this book and absorb what the book teaches and put that into my life and just continue that inflow of the will of God and that outflow of obedience to Him. I can fill my life with the will of God. Jesus is the fullness of God. In Him dwells all that deity is about. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. People today who have not read or studied this passage will sometimes try to describe the nature of Jesus Christ. And they will say things like, well, 
He was filled with rage against social injustice. And some will say, he was filled with the desire to fill everybody with food and lift everybody from all disease and poverty. Or it may be said he was filled with this agenda or he was filled with that philosophy or whatever men may impose upon him in their misrepresentations. Paul said, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is an affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. All that God is dwells in Christ. All the fullness. Jesus is not half God, part God. He is God. In Him all the fullness of deity dwells. And over in chapter 2 and verse 9, this is repeated, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's almost like Paul is saying, well, in case you didn't really get it about the deity of Christ, in Colossians 1.19, I'm going to come right back, and here it is again, in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He adds another superlative to it. You may find little or nothing about this in the movies and books of men about Jesus. The National Geographic TV documentaries about Jesus do not affirm or emphasize the deity of Christ. If they do bring it up, they say, this is what some believe. Well, this is what we believe. This is what Christians believe. This is the real Jesus described by Paul in the Colossian passage and can I explain how this can be from an objective, scientific standpoint? No. The truth about Christ is not given for human analysis. Well, here's something. We'll go to the laboratory now. We'll test this out. We'll go to the historical archives now. And we'll, we'll see what people believe about this. It's not given for us to analyze and decide whether or not it's true. It is supernatural. It is written in the New Testament, a book that has credibility more than any other book to ever be circulated. As I read the New Testament, and I personally encounter the evidence, especially of the birth, death, and His resurrection, and all the other testimony, I'm convinced. So I don't take all this to the laboratory. I take it to heart and to life. Now, let me introduce verse 20 this way. If Jesus is who Paul claims him to be, if the evidence supports the affirmations that are here and that are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the person and work of Christ, then without question, this Jesus is the one who can take you out of sin and reconcile you to God, making peace by the blood of His cross. He has the power to respond to your need and lead you to a higher purpose and reign over your life so as to bring peace and joy and keep you from the rebellion of sin. The real Jesus in whom the fullness of deity dwells is more than just an interesting historical figure. 
to be dissected and revised and remade in our image. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Therefore, He is the one who has the power to take me out of sin and reconcile me to God and bring into my life peace by the blood of the cross. Now, stay with me. Turn over to Colossians 2 and verse 6 and 7. When you read propositional truth in the Bible, by propositional truth I mean He is the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the the propositional truth. A list of affirmations about Jesus Christ. When you read propositional truth in the New Testament, the intent of that is for you to take it into your heart and into your life. So, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what do I do with all this propositional truth in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20? I respond to Him. I'm buried with Him in baptism. And then I walk in Him. That's the practical impact. That's the so what that comes to us after we embrace all that propositional truth about Jesus Christ. Is there something men and women ought to do once they embrace the truth about the real Jesus? Yes, receive Him by the initial activity of your faith and then walk in Him. That's Colossians 1. 15 through 20. Questions or comments? Colossians 1. Yes, Freddie. One of our translations says this was a hymnal of Jesus Christ. Uh, does it say that in the text or does it say it is a reference or a, a reference, a note? Yes. In fact, all of these passages, there's one similar to this in Ephesians, and there's one in First and Second Timothy. All of these passages is purported to believe became hymns. And people, when they would sing in their assemblies, would have this emphasis on who Jesus is and what he did. Very likely, and perhaps there's some archaeological secular evidence to back that up, Uh, But these statements about Hebrews 1 would be another example. In Hebrews 1, you you may find a footnote where somebody says this was a hymn used in the early church. Very likely uh, that they sung these truths about Jesus Christ. Takeaways. I have two or three takeaways. One is very obvious. This is what we believe. This is what we say to the world. If you want to know what God looks like, how God acts and reacts, 
what God thinks of us and what God has planned for us and what God is all about, open your Bible and learn about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about a picture book because what we're talking about when we come to these words, image, we're not talking about physical features or physical appearance. We're talking about heart and character and attitude and purpose and all that would be involved in all that. Jesus, in the life that he lived, exhibited the qualities that are the essence of God. So when you see something in the life of Jesus that you read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it strikes you that that is a good, excellent virtue, it's a quality that I need to have, that quality is representative of God the Creator. Thus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God in a complete way. Some translations have it that Jesus is the perfect representation of God. Before you ever get to the affirmation of His full deity, that's in verse 19 in chapter 2 that we read a moment ago, 9, before you get to the affirmation of His full deity, it is said He is the perfect representation of God. So that means when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you become acquainted with the kind of person Jesus was on earth, you're becoming acquainted with God. You're becoming acquainted with God. I believe this is more than just, oh, uh, interesting observation. It's more than just a curiosity or uh, an academic oddity. And it's more than just a line in a creed. It is crucial to our faith. It makes everything real for us. It would almost be correct to say, if you've already eliminated that we're not talking about physical features, it would be correct to say, Jesus puts a face on God. Jesus puts a face on God. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the real Jesus, who represents the real God. We are in a class as humans of people who've been made in the image of God. And though we were born and Jesus was born, he was born to a virgin. We didn't come into the world the same way he did. So we were created, we were made in the image of God, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you have an affirmation of his representation of God the Father, and then following that you have the affirmation of his deity. In him all the fullness of God belongs. I explain that sometimes by describing various classes or categories. When you were in school, grade school maybe, junior high school, you learned about different categories. There's mineral, vegetable, animal, human, all these categories that you need to be straight about. Jesus is in a category 
that contains only three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The highest category there is of beings. That's where Jesus is. He belongs to that unique class of deity. Teaching this passage in Colossians 1 a few years ago, I was emphasizing that reconciliation to God. We're talking about you were living in sin. Now you want to get out of sin and be reconciled to God, be brought back to God to live in fellowship with Him. That's reconciliation, to make friends again. Reconciliation is only possible through this divine person we've studied about this morning. The Islamic religion does not provide reconciliation with God. In fact, the Islamic religion provides separation from God. The Roman Catholic system does not provide reconciliation with God. They make all kinds of promises and men have developed a system. Men have developed a system of reconciliation with God, but it's not this system. So the Islamic religion does not provide reconciliation with God. The Roman Catholic system does not provide reconciliation with God. I'm going to add to that. Denominational creeds do not provide reconciliation with God. You can go to a denominational church and they'll hand you a little booklet and it'll say, this is our manual of faith. Learn this or come to a catechism class and be able to memorize some of this and you will be reconciled to God. The Bible simply doesn't say that. doesn't say that men can write out a system through which you can be reconciled to God. So the Islamic religion doesn't do it. The Roman Catholic system doesn't do it. Denominational creeds do not provide reconciliation with God. New Age Gnostic philosophers these days not only claim to provide reconciliation with God, they actually allege that you can become God. Some of you may remember many years ago, Shirley MacLaine, the famous actress, wrote a book about her religious philosophy. Interesting to me, the name of the book was Out on a Limb. Somebody wrote a response to that, and the name of the responsive book was Out on a Broken Limb. But anyway, she wrote a book about her religious philosophy, and it involved reincarnation and New Age philosophy. And her point was, you can actually become God. And so New Age people not only talk about being reconciled with God, but becoming God. But we've already eliminated that, eliminated that in our study of Colossians 1. We're in a different class. We were made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. There's only one way to get out of sin, escape the consequences, have God cancel the guilt, enter into fellowship with God, and continue to live with Him and go to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ and the blood of His cross. Verse 21, And you 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above approach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, are you seeing how this all connects? Who Jesus is and what he did provides the only way I can get out of sin and be a child of God. That's how it all connects. Who Jesus is and what he did provides the only way I can get out of sin and be reconciled to God. And hopefully, once I'm reconciled to God, I'll do what verse 23 says, continue in the faith. And that's what I'll be talking about Wednesday night. Continuing in the faith. And we'll talk about these terms in verse 22. Holy, blameless, and above reproach before Him. So, somebody approaches you. And they say, well, I've heard about Jesus Christ. What do you think? What do you believe? Who do you think Jesus Christ is? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him, and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. That's what we believe about Jesus Christ, and we stand on that and live by it every day. Come back Wednesday night. We'll study more in Colossians 1. Thank you very much.